Good morning, everybody, and welcome to episode 149 of the Quickie Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and I'm so glad you're here today. Now, before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to let you know about something I am launching early next week. It currently is just a really exclusive opportunity where there's limited seating and limited spots to help build this beta version of it. Um, So let me tell you a little bit about that. Uh, Next week, I will be launching the Print Design Academy. It's a membership community and education platform for designers and illustrators and creatives who want to learn how to communicate with printers, confidently design for print. And there's a huge supportive print design community built within this platform to encourage you, support you, and help you grow your design skills and answer your questions related to print. So basically over the last 15 plus years working in the print industry and the last year and a bit doing the Quickie Podcast, I've had many conversations with designers and found the gaps, the missing spots in graphic design degrees and education for graphic designers. And you know, I want to fill those gaps. I want to help people and encourage people and give them the confidence to design for print. Freelancers to help you charge more because you have more skills and you're able to take on a wider variety of projects. For the junior designers who are looking at getting that dream job in the studio, you know, this is a great thing to have on your resume that you're able to showcase in your portfolio as well, that you know how to design for print, how to connect with printers, how to find printers, and how to do all that side. So Print Design Academy will have the education platform where every single week we're uploading new trading videos, we're working with experts in their own different fields in the print industry to bring you knowledge to answer your questions. We'll also have live webinars with special guests teaching a wide variety of print-related topics. Uh, We'll have live Q&As with industry experts that you're able to ask them questions directly, you know, experts that you might not otherwise be able to connect to. We will also eventually have a print store where there will be incredible exclusive merch and collectible prints done for just PDA Print Design Academy members. And the cherry on top is a quarterly publication showcasing amazing print techniques, foils, die cuts, incredible papers from manufacturers all over the world, and just just an amazing piece to have, to hold, to hoard, you know, your print hoarders. And uh, I also want to be able to send you printed tools for you to go out and show to your customers. This is what an emboss feels like. This is what this coating feels like. This is what foils look like in this certain application. I want to give you the tangible hard copy tools. So Print Design Academy is where that's all going down. Now, next week when I launch, I'm only accepting a very limited number of people because I want to slowly build this. I want to get the community going. I want to get into a really good groove before I kick it open wide to the public. And that probably won't happen until early next year, early 2020. So if this is an opportunity that you are interested in being a part of the founding members of the Print Design Academy, you got to hit me in the DMs on Instagram. That's the only way to have that exclusive invitation. So if you're interested, Hit me up in the DMs. I can tell you a little bit more about it, tell you if it's a fit for you or not, and uh, let you in on the details if, uh, if it works and if it's a fit. That, again, is Print Design Academy launching next week for founding members and only open for a very limited amount of time. If you're interested, hit me in the DMs. So today's guest, 
My guest today is Joshua Jacobs from J7 Creative. He's a branding and packaging expert in the cannabis space out of San Diego, California. During this episode, we talk about how he sort of stood out in his family and how he did that. He tells us how it took him a couple of years into his design career to really start seeing the designs that he grew up with really made their way into his mind in the design side and really influenced him. We also talk about the Coca-Cola project that he was a part of and why that was influential to him. And then he tells us that he almost left design completely and ended up getting a job working in the cannabis space, not even doing design, just working for a cannabis producer and also how he made his way back to design because that's where he is now. He also tells us about doing some work with Aaron Draplin and how the conversation that they had just freed him and allowed him to really look at design his way and use his style. He also tells us about a catalog project that he worked on using early like Quark Express. Remember that back in the day and how that introduced him to print and press checks. We also talk about the project where he started to feel taken advantage of and what he learned from it. Right in the end, we talk about the letterpress packaging that he recently created and how, you know, just recently that put him on the map in that space as a pro. So ladies and gentlemen, let's get to this one. My fabulous guest, Joshua Jacobs. Here we go. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Josh, it's so great to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, honored to be on your show. That's great, man. I'm glad we could make it work. Um, the first question I got to ask you though, is are you ready for a quickie? I am always ready for a quickie. I like that. I like the little sparkle in your eye. Um, so let's start with a tough question then briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Uh, I am a graphic designer. I do design and marketing for cannabis companies. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a dad. Um, my, my kids are always number one. Uh, I love my work, but I love my kids, and every day they inspire me to be a better person and designer um, and artist and successful. Uh, born and raised in L.A. I'm a Southern California boy through and through. Uh, born and raised in L.A., came down to San Diego for college, ended up going to art school, uh, slowly moved back up to L.A., worked a few jobs, and then uh, slowly back to San Diego. Everyone said I would end up back in San Diego. I didn't believe it because I love LA so much. Um, but needless to say, uh, we, we found a good home here in San Diego. There you are. Yeah, here we are. Perfect. How many kids do you have? What are the ages? I have two kids, a five-year-old boy who is just amazing. He's uh, fully musical and just cracks me up. And we have a one-year-old baby girl. Um, and he is super high energy and she is super chill. So I am grateful for that balance. 
Um, there's not, <laughs> not always a lot of balance, but I am grateful for the little balance that we get. Yeah, that's what I noticed. I have two girls and one boy, and the difference between like I raised two girls first before I had my son, and um, my gosh, the difference. The difference between raising little girls and raising a boy. I know that's stereotyping and not always the case, but in my particular case, wow, what a difference. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's a challenge to keep up with him, but it's good. You know, it's good. It keeps me from being too lazy, so that's good. Keeps you young and zestful, right? Yeah, uh, young, zestful, and uh, increasingly more and more gray by the day. I sure. love it. So <laughs> we've been talking about kids and childhood, and I want to dive back into yours a little bit here. Yeah. Um, Josh, what was your childhood like? And do you feel that you had a creative childhood that pointed you in this career path? I do. Um, I came from, uh, like I said, I was born and raised in LA. I'm the youngest of five. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the only one in my family who didn't get straight A's and, uh, I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't a star athlete. My oldest brother was a superstar skier and bicyclist. And my other brother was a, um, major league baseball player at one point. And wow. it's just, an ice skater and I you know was clearly not cut from that cloth um, I, I was the class clown and kind of acting out a lot um, and to my parents credit you know they they saw it early on and I remember being in art classes off-site not at a school or anything at a little art little art studio um, Joe I think the art teacher's name was and I remember doing airbrush and oil painting and I don't know maybe five or six years old um, I know that my mom's mom was a artist and a sculptor um mm-hmm. so it was in my bloodline my parents weren't the most creative but they were certainly very appreciative of art and culture so yeah got it okay so brothers very athletic um and but that just wasn't your wasn't it didn't resonate with you you were telling the jokes you were doing the fun stuff you were that funny guy Exactly. I was always the one that was drawing in class instead of listening and, and doing well. And I mean, I still remember the day when I was 13 and decided to not play Little League Baseball anymore. It was like a death in my family. Um, I, I was almost excommunicated from my family for not wanting to play baseball. Um, and I don't, I, you know, I think everyone was pretty concerned about where I would end up. And if it wasn't sports, what would it be? And mm-hmm. so I think we're all happy that I'm, you know, making making a living doing what I not only love, but I'm good at doing so. That's great. Yeah, you found your way to what you love, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a, it's a long road, but it, here we are. So, at what point in that journey, growing up, did you start to notice design, or design started to become part of your life? Yeah, um, you know, I think it, it wasn't until a few years into my career, when as a designer, when I started to really notice it, that I was pulling on things that I never knew I recognized. I was working at an agency and I would get a project and I would start to call on uh, a sign from a sandwich shop or I would realize that I knew the thickness of the lacquer at Islands Restaurant when I was working on a campaign for Islands and we were in the kickoff meeting. I started to realize that I could describe the inside of the Islands without even ever noticing it before. Um, And that's when I realized that I was noticing these things my entire life. Uh, I just didn't realize it. Yeah, so a couple of years into your design career is really when you went, oh, that stuff did stick with me. Yeah, and, and I did it wasn't, notice that. 
Exactly. And it wasn't, it wasn't even, it was after my first few jobs. Uh, my first job was a production artist at a med medical device company. And then I was a designer at a commercial real estate company. And I wasn't selling products. I wasn't analyzing demographics. I wasn't truly trying to engage consumer. I was selling products to businesses. And it's much different. It was the mm -hmm. advertising agency and working with these clients that were selling products um, like Coca-Cola that I really realized that I was analyzing this stuff my whole life. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Putting the pieces together here. Um, so in that list of things that a few years into your career started coming back to you and started not maybe not influencing, but being impactful in your design, what stood out as maybe the most influential in that? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I got to the advertising agency, it's twofold. I mean, there, there's early on the advertising, I really... That was the first time I ever felt at home in a chair, in a studio, in a mm -hmm. job, graphic design. You know, I went production artist, graphic designer, and then I got to the agency. And I was on, like like most agencies, I was on a couple-week test period. And I remember getting offered the job at the end of the first week because it, it just really clicked. Um, so at that agency, I got to be a, an integral part of developing and executing uh, Coca-Cola Look of Success campaign, mm -hmm. uh, which is still being used globally today with the iconic white bottle and the now-famous Gotham font. Mm -hmm. and red and the white the classic white script um, I remember getting the hundred page rule book and and, and and helping do everything from magazine ads to billboards at NASCAR stadiums to murals at blockbuster video um, and and that really just helped me I, I remember designing a surfboard uh, for a, a jack-in-a-box coca-cola branded surfboard for an auction <laughs> and i did something that was all very hawaiian and very you know very surfy and beachy and they were all great um but coca-cola wanted them to be more trippy and psychedelic it's the first time that i wasn't told to put a medical device in a smaller box and not stretch a photo and they wanted me to just let loose and and i i was just really hit home and then you know more recently uh my first uh, cannabis project whitehead weedery um was really what helped me get passionate about graphic design again so mm -hmm. yeah that's cool so you kind of over the years got into a bit of a you know a bit of a groove of things a bit of a slump of things and it was that recent cannabis project that really reinvigorated graphic design for you Correct. Yeah. So uh, up until uh, uh, it was about five years ago when I got this cultivator, you know, my most of my career was reactionary in corporate America, going mm -hmm. from coal to commercial real estate to education, all working at very big companies. Um, and I, I was had bad luck and bad timing and I would always get raises and promotions and do well and then get caught in a merger and restructuring and outsourcing. Yeah. And I kept, you know, as soon as I was ready to buy a new place or buy a new car or make a big thing, the company would do restructuring and I would have to reassess and save up. Um, but, you know, I made the, the turns to freelance. And even a few years after freelance, I was still considering leaving design to get into cannabis. Um, and it was that point right when I had made that decision to go work as a bud tender uh, for a friend who owned a dispensary. It was that point I was introduced to a cultivator who needed a logo and a branding package. And for the first time, I was working on something in cannabis that I had been wanting to get into for a while. I was willing to do something I didn't even know just to get into the space. And now here we are being given a project where I already knew exactly what to do. Um, 
And I designed that logo and did that branding package and their sales went up and that led to another cannabis project and another one. And before I knew it, I was really finally found my niche. Okay, that is crazy. I did not know that. You know, you almost came to a point where you were so burnt out or dissatisfied with the design and the way that it had gone for you that you were looking into a completely different career direction. Correct. But somehow in that journey to the next career move, you were reinvigorated into graphic design. That's such a cool story, Josh. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I literally made a cannabis uh, resume. Uh, It was probably a bunch of BS about how much I know about cannabis. I said that (laughs) cannabis just as well, if not better than design. Uh, I had a friend here in San Diego owned a dispensary. Mm -hmm. I was like, sure, I'll hire you as a bud tender for minimum wage, but you've been doing... You've been working in marketing departments as a salary guy for 20 years. I I was ready to start at the ground level and work my way up to be an executive at his dispensary group. And literally the next day after he agreed to hire me, uh, the next day is when I was introduced to the cultivator. Um, And it it was hard at first. I was still kind of stuck in this loss of freelance and not knowing what the client wanted and I, I wasn't fully turned around and passionate about it yet but mm-hmm. you know it took a while um, but four weeks later here we are I helped re I helped pivot the company from one name I forget it was one name that was a terrible name and I helped them really come back to the family uh, winery style uh, branding package and, and they just loved it and it just snowballed from there crazy Okay, um, so I just want to rewind or just pause for a second there for J7 Creative. How long have you been running that for? Like, how long has that gone for? Yeah, I probably started J7 Creative uh, in 2012 um, is when I decided to go freelance after after being in corporate America for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was hard. That was It was a hard decision to give up those salaries and W2 um, and it was right before we had a kid. So, I mean, even when my kid was born in 2014, now Mm -hmm. two years into freelance, um, I still, um, I was unemployed for, I think three months before my son was born and three months after I was ready to go take any cashier job that was ready to come my way, Mm -hmm. uh, Starbucks or Kinko's or whatever it was. I was focused on freelance but it was hard. My wife uh, works for a nonprofit uh, with the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego. So, you know, she's also in the arts, um, but wasn't making a, a very big salary. We had a kid. Um, and again, even before this cannabis story, it was another one of these situations where I knew I had to make ends meet. So I was ready to go take a job. And that's when a former coworker who was working at a user interface company uh, gave me a chance as a contractor. And I was doing some user interface, which wasn't even my specialty. Mm-hmm. Um, helped me get comfortable with being a freelancer. And I started to learn the ropes of being motivated from working from home and how to get some clients and how to be professional without being in an office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that snowballed again into another retainer and more freelance opportunities. Um, and then it was a couple of years later that I still wasn't feeling the freelance thing and the clients wanted me to fit into their vision. No one was hiring me to do what I really wanted to do. And the projects always kind of devolved and, um, so yeah, man, what a wild ride, Josh. Yeah, no, it's, it's been all over the place, which is why I'm so grateful to be where I am today. So got it. Um, Josh, I want to ask you now, who are some of the designers or brands that you look up to or closely follow and what about them do you like? 
Oh man, today there's just there's so much good talent out there, you know, especially with Instagram and being able to have access dribble and having access to these people. Um, Alan Peters, obviously, Brian Steely, who I'm actually gonna see and hopefully meet this weekend at a design conference, uh, CropCon down here. Oh, cool! You're going to CropCon. Good for you. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. Studio Temporary, Stay Gray, Benjamin Howes. Um, there's a designer that I've long looked up to and actually ended up having the fortunate uh, the fortune of uh, being mentored by him a little bit uh, right when I was going freelance. Uh, James Schaff of Schaff Design. He did some of the most iconic um, logos and graphics and merchandise for my favorite band, which is Fish um, from Vermont. And some of those designs inspired me to want to be a designer in the first place when I was in college. Um, and then in 2012, I was introduced to him through a mutual friend. And he was able to tell me some stories and and mentor me on going freelance, even introduced me to, to Fish and did a little bit of work for them. Um, so he, he, he's been great. I look up to him. Um, and then as, as cliche as it is, I, I have to mention Aaron Draplin. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I saw Draplin speak at the Y conference here in San Diego and I don't know, 2009, I was still working corporate America and I was knew that eventually I wanted to go freelance, but I didn't know the first thing about making the jump to freelance. And I was still working 40 plus hours a week on site, but taking on BS logo projects and trying to do things for my friends just to kind of build a personal portfolio. Mm-hmm stuck you know someone would hire me to do a logo i would give them three concepts and those concepts would be a three-page pdf with one logo per page and aaron draplin gets up on the stage and he's like listen you fucking assholes uh it's not that hard you want to design for uh, a client once something looks good duplicate it save it show your client 20 logos per concept give them 10 concepts if you can draw it you can show it there's no reason to spend 20 hours refining a logo get it in front of your client break free let anything inspire you look through any book steal a concept tweak it it's good and he really just set me free in terms of how i approached design and that process and literally the next project i did i applied what he taught me and I think I was immediately doing better than I was the day before after meeting him and doing a screen press with him and kind of basically spending the day with him, um, bonding and talking with him and learning from him. So, Such an impactful moment there. Yeah, yeah, no, he, he's great. Okay, so I know you're working on some packaging projects, so I want to ask you a little bit about print and packaging <laughs> and um, sort of how you've utilized print and packaging in your design career. Why is packaging still important? Oh, man. I mean, packaging is everything. Um, uh, in terms of products and communicating with consumers, um, ha- having the right package design um it makes a world of difference for sales. At the end of the day, we are selling products for our clients. And, you know, I've learned from other designers and myself that the designers who aren't thinking about the the sales aspect of the artwork are are always not going to do as well as the ones that are. Um, You know, my first corporate job uh, was a medical device company. I was working there when InDesign was released. Um, At the time, it was Quark Express. Mm -hmm. Adobe released InDesign and, um, I was still a production artist. I don't even think I was called production artist. I was called product desktop publisher was my title. Nice. Um, and they sent me to a one-day crash course seminar sponsored by Adobe talking about their new program. And the next day I started working on a 500-page catalog with plugins for Excel and part numbers. It was insane. And, you know, a few months later, I, that that 
catalog project introduced me to the concept of a press check. Um, and I immediately fell in love with just everything that had to do with printing, uh, the sounds, the smells, the inks, the noise, just everything that was going <laughs> along with, with, with being in a big production house, printing a catalog like that was just mind blowing. I, I was totally enamored by it. Um, and then, you know, obviously being in different companies would do many press checks later and print and getting into textures and different papers. Um, now I, my relationship with, with printing is, you know, I'm now doing packaging um, and, and some boxes are as small as 20 millimeters by 15 millimeters. I was just working on a label and every millimeter and color code has to be accounted for. And again, because I'm in San Diego and my clients are all over the country, if not the world, oftentimes I don't get to do press checks anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everything counts for my screen. You know, I have to print it out, check here, rulers. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Obviously, in the background, I also have a, a very deep love for uh, concert posters and printmaking. And, you know, and the DKNG is another studio that inspires me. I have two of their fish prints behind me. Um, and I love that whole process. I tried maybe thinking about getting into that, but I think, you know, maybe a little too messy for me as much as I love it. <laughs> You're the cleaner design kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Um, well, Josh, the next couple of questions I have for you, take you down part of your career where you likely made some mistakes, learned some lessons, and I want to pull those stories out of you. What has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Why was it challenging? And how did you get through it? Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of already touched on that a little bit earlier when, you know, when I decided to finally make the jump to freelance from mm -hmm. corporate America, it, it was really hard. Um, you know, like I said, to, to know that we were having a kid and, and make the decision to not have income and not know the reins. Um, it was a tough decision for my wife and I, uh, many years I was unemployed. Um, and like I said, a few months before and after my son was born, I was still unemployed, but I kept my head down. I worked hard. Um, I, I did what I had to do, um, to, to stay successful. And, and that meant, you know, working with the people that I've worked for before and staying positive, even when it was hard. And, you know, God bless my wife for supporting me through all of that. And, you know, being the, the sole breadwinner for, for quite a long time. Um, and, and it, it's paid off. So we're, we're awesome. Um, so yeah, definitely that was, you know, you expanded on that earlier where you were able to you know, make that leap and some of the struggles that you face. Thank you for that. Um, but now I want to dive a little bit deeper, Josh. I want to hear about a specific design yeah. or a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. Um, sure. what was that like? How did that feel? Can you take us to that story? Oh yeah. Um, I was thinking about that. As it was like in preparation for that that question, I was like, "What what what are some of these projects?" And right after I went freelance, um, I don't remember how long after I went freelance, but it was pretty early after I went freelance. Mm -hmm. um, I was hired to do a local granola company. Uh, it was a mom and dad who wanted to turn their family hobby of making granola with their kids into a business. Mm -hmm. I think it was a lesson in entrepreneurship for the kids, which I just loved. Um, they were like junior high or, or younger, and the kids wanted to start the business. They were selling the granola on the street corners and, and food fairs and bake sales for a while, and uh, according to the parents, had a great reputation, and they wanted to build something nice. Mm -hmm. uh, my first kickoff meeting with the parents had the kids there because they were an integral part of the story. Um, they wanted the kids to be illustrated 
as part of the logo. Interesting. Um, the mom, the dad, and the kids in a heart inside the logo. And obviously, when a client tells you that, your immediate response is, that's way too much stuff to put into a logo. <laughs> but it's my job to figure out how to do it. Um, I never claimed to be a character illustrator. Um, I'm an illustrator, but I've always been much more of an organic, abstract illustrator, not necessarily drawing faces and characters. Um, but I did it, and maybe I had some help from stocks, from some stock graphics. I'm not really sure. Um, I, I do know that um, three, four rounds of design, there were a few designs that were just stellar. They were a little bit... Uh, probably advanced for what they were looking for. But mm -hmm. as, as far as I was concerned, I was hitting the mark. I was doing what they wanted. I was elevating their aesthetic. I was keeping it local and story-driven and about the kids and about the family. There were some cute options. There were some not-so-cute options. And uh, after a few rounds, I could tell that they were starting to maybe take advantage of me a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the standard is three, four rounds, and obviously we can go a couple rounds past that. Um, but, you know, a few rounds kept going, and a few rounds turned into a few more rounds, and they continued to pass on the designs. And every time a new round would hit, they would change their mind about what they would want, and it would go back and forth. Um, I agreed to go past the time and scope. I had really nothing to lose. Um, I wasn't very busy. I wanted the recognition. I saw it as a good opportunity to get into product and packaging. Mm -hmm that that's what I wanted to do um, and I think you know there's a big big fault on my own to not have been more clear about the process and the contracts um, so at the end of the day I'm not exactly sure if I decided to not continue or if they decided to not continue to work with me um, but at the end of the day you know after at least four or five plus weeks if not a couple months of work the project ended, and in fact, they even refused to pay me. Yeah. Um, didn't get what they wanted when, you know, and and probably my fault for not having it clear in the contract saying, look, you're paying for my time, not the actual final results. Um, I'm happy to work with discounts and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it ended up getting pretty ugly at the, at the end. Um, but, you know, I turned it into a positive. I learned to truly communicate all the intricacies of the creative process, um, ins and outs. And now when I talk to a client, I say, look, I could have something for you in three days. I might not be able to sleep tonight because I'm so jazzed on it. Or I could be sitting here in four weeks telling you, I'm so sorry. I need a couple more weeks. I have nothing. And it could be anywhere in between. And the more upfront I am about that stuff, the more uh, clients seem to respond with that. Um, and I certainly um, also have much better contracts in place. So Yeah, the contracts <laughs> are always developed on the way. Yeah, yeah. So you it's, never have it nailed down to cover all situations right from the start. No, it, it, that's the hardest part. And, you know, that, that was one of the things that Draplin taught me. You know, it's not always about the contract or the money. You know, Draplin told the whole story about how he did a Nike campaign and was a global Nike campaign, was paid stupid amounts of money. And when it was all said and done, he had billboards in every country across the planet and hated every inch of the creative. But the hot dog logo that he did for his friend's hot dog kiosk vendor that he didn't charge a penny for was his favorite logo that led to much more work. And that, that story has held true for me as well to pick and choose who I work with and choose the projects, not the, not the money, and, and do it for what I'm passionate for. You know, it's so interesting to hear you echo that because I ask this question, which I'm going to get to pretty quick here, 
which is about the project you're the most proud of. And I would say 85% of the time, the project that a designer is the most proud to have been a part of is not the one that got the biggest notoriety with the biggest brand and the biggest paycheck. It's often the one that they were barely paid anything, if anything, but it had the biggest impact for either society, for their heart, for them, like whatever, right? It's, it's, it's very rarely the biggest pay job. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I see that more and more. I, mm-hmm. I have, I have a few examples of that being the case, you know? So before I dive into that question, I want to keep us in the dark zone first <laughs> with one, okay. one more question. What are you struggling with in your design career right now, Josh? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if it's struggling as much as it is a, a learning process and, and another evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I seem to I seem to struggle uh, my entire career. So uh, something like this, I, I I don't necessarily see it as a struggle. But you know, I've recently started an agency with a, a couple collaborators that I've worked with for for a few years. I have a, a marketing um, strategy uh, guy in Denver or in Colorado, and a photography uh, collaborator partner in New York. And so we've started an agency, and we've recently brought on some some designers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the struggle is I'm learning to manage and direct the talent and take a little bit of a step back and, and learning how to direct these talents uh, as much as do my own set of hands-on work. Um, the struggle is really learning to communicate when mm-hmm. I have, you know, I, I have the inclination to just say, just give me your files and I'll, I'll fix it up and I'll, I'll make it millimeter perfect. Or totally. I'll so the struggle is really learning how to like look at what their work is, see what the strengths and weaknesses are, learn how to communicate that to them, to empower them and trust them. You know, they're very talented, um, but I'm learning to take a step back and empower them to be as creative as they can be and shine and be off of our team and not just my own credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's different, uh, but I like it. I love it. I love the way you explain that too. You know, it's, um, it's not necessarily a struggle, but it's another phase of learning that you're powering through. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Now we can turn this bus around. Josh, I would love for you. Yeah. <laughs> I would love for you to tell me about a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of. One that just makes your heart sing. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the middle of one. I mean, the, the, the 16 SKUs that I'm working on right now is part of a rebranding project um, where when, when it goes live, um, when it all comes out, I, I'm just going to be thrilled that this full rebrand and um, the company was looking to an agency for that rebrand and that agency kind of dropped the ball and ended up coming back to me um, and, and trusting me and, and really the stars aligned. I did what I wanted to do where I saw it and they agreed and they they took a total pivot after going with an agency for months and months um, and are allowing me to really like shine and do everything I want to do for this brand. So more to come on that. But really the answer is, is Smoked Honey um, is, a, is a dear client, has become a friend of mine. I was introduced to him from a friend a few years ago after getting into the cannabis space. And he was a startup. Smoked Honey is a distillate company out of San Diego. Mm-hmm. 
makes a, an amazing cannabis product. He, he's a lab engineer with a computer science and business background. Um, we're cut from the same cloth. And, you know, from the day we met and started talking about the future of Smoked Honey, this client really trusted me to do whatever I did. He liked my work. We liked my personality. There wasn't a lot of direction, which sometimes is hard. Um, to not have that direction, but he really wanted me to do whatever I did. We had a we had a great dialogue during the branding process, and um, it was just it was great. While I was working on the branding process, I fell into you know I think every designer when they're working on all their concepts for a presentation and the big branding, there's probably always one or two where the designer loves more than the rest of the concepts. So the mm-hmm. trick becomes how do you sell the client on your favorite version? Do you present it at the beginning of the deck? Do you present it at the end of the deck? What's the cadence of the presentation? And I remember while I was working on it and showing, before I had shown the client, showing my board of directors, as I as I call it, my advisors, my designer friends, and you know, what do you think about this logo? I think I found it for a project. And everyone was like, I don't know, man. It's not right. doesn't feel right. It looks too sporty. It doesn't feel like cannabis. And even my wife was like, I, I just don't think it's right. There's better options. But I knew in my heart that this was it. Um, and I, I couldn't tell you how I sold it on him. I don't know, even know if I had to. But at the <laughs> end of the day, the client saw the monogram, saw the logo, um, obviously, I'm, I'm at a point now when if I'm doing a branding package, I'm not just giving you a logo. I'm showing how it's going to look on a T-shirt or a hat or a box, and it helps the client really see it in context. So, you know, in addition to trusting my gut and working with the client and then ended up being like not not the first project in cannabis where I really got to do what I wanted, but really having this guy trust me and, and kind of going against everyone's advice with with this logo and the colors and the brand and it ended up being perfect um and then when it when it when we were shopping for packaging i wanted to do letterpress i wanted to do you know i wanted to do the specialty the foil the blind impressions the inks i wanted to have that paper and and really set these guys apart but he was a startup and letterpress is double the cost of everything else we were shopping for mm-hmm. uh, and it wasn't a battle. I convinced my client that despite it being more than double the cost, it, w- it would be worth it. Um, we ended up working with Studio on Fire in Minnesota, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't worry on that. Um, but they are a specialty letterpress company. Um, they don't even really deal with ink. All of the ink impressions are all foils. So we ended up getting these boxes that had blind impression and yellow foil and white foil and rainbow foil and everything was letterpress. And um, it's just been amazing. The client has loved it. The response on social media and dribble and, you know, it was the first project that the die line ever liked on my Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tagged them and they followed me after Smoked Honey and they liked the post. Since then, they've been following and liking my stuff. Um, other packaging blogs shared that the Smoked Honey stuff. And, you know, now Smoked Honey is getting more popular than ever. We're about to relaunch uh, with all new product lines and new sales marks. And I'm still getting inquiries uh, from that job. I'll still wake up to get Instagram messages with the post in my direct message saying, I love this. Can we talk about doing this for my brand? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I did not know that you did were the creator of Smoke Tunny because I follow Studio on Fire mm-hmm. and I, I've, saw, I've seen that work mm-hmm. um, through their feed and gone, damn, that is a nice box. 
Yeah, thank you very much. I yeah. didn't even know you're behind that. That's amazing, Josh. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, you've reached the part of the show for the Ask It Forward question, sir. That's where okay. I have a question for you from my last guest. Okay. And you get the opportunity to ask a question of my next guest. I'm not going to tell you who they are, but you can ask them anything. Okay. So with that said, and this question from my last guest is actually quite fitting for sort of where you're at. Um, my last guest was Peter Asprey from Asprey Creative out in Melbourne, Australia. He's the owner and creative director. And he wanted to ask, how do you balance the creative side with the running a business side? Hmm. That is a good question. Um, I admittedly could be better at running the business side. Um, you know, as a dad, I've learned to balance a million things all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I also very much appreciate breaks from the creative. Um, you know, nobody can be creative all the time. You know, and my life, you, you tell people you're a graphic designer and the response is always, cool, you're a graphic designer. It's like, it's not always cool having to produce <laughs> products 24 hours a day. Yep. Um, so, you know, I, I when, when I'm not feeling creative is when I take advantage to do the housekeeping. Um, I do my best to, to track hours and I, I just be honest. And I think, you know, with, with the business and how I attract business, the more I've been able to be myself, the better I've become at business. Um, and understanding, again, the sales and knowing that I'm selling products for my companies, not just drawing them pretty pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I rely on my wife for the details of the financials uh, or my partners at Nomad to, to build and engage other relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I can't talk to a client. I just need to be drawing. Um, and I, I'm grateful to have good people that work with me that are great communicators and collaborators. I love it. Yeah. Josh, what is the question you would like to ask my next guest? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's as profound as that question. I think that was a really good question. Um, the only thing I could really come up with was, you know, I can't work without music. I, I have to be listening to music, you know, whether it's 7 a.m. or 1 a.m. I have to be listening to music. So I guess my question would be, you know, do you listen to music while you work? If so, what's the music that inspires you? Um, on a different on, on one day versus a different day. All right. I like it. Josh, I'm going to ask my next guest that question. Awesome. And with that, you've made it to the end of the quickie podcast, Josh. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being a guest today. Oh, thank you so much, Dave, for having me. It was great having a quickie with you. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. All right, everybody. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Again, just a reminder, if you are interested in that Print Design Academy founding membership opportunity, the only way to get an email invitation to that right now is to send me a DM through Instagram. That's the Quickie Podcast on Instagram. Just send me a DM saying I'm interested in Print Design Academy, and uh, I'll get back to you with some details. Talk to you soon. Bye.